Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. We are celebrating together Palm Sunday, which is really the beginning of this Easter week that we end with. So we're kind of bookending these two weekends and really looking at the significance of the story of Palm Sunday. And like Pastor George was mentioning, don't forget next weekend to go on our website, save a seat. It really helps us to prepare for you, prepare for your friends. If you forget, like he said, don't stress out, not come, still come to service. But we, we do look forward to seeing you all next weekend for five services. But we don't want you to jump ahead at this point and go, well, we're, we're heading into Easter. We, we, we really want to take a moment and look at the story of, of what the church would call Palm Sunday. And, and for me, I want to start by looking at a question that kind of has been significant for me, and and it's this idea that if have you haven't had anything in life where it felt unexpected, but but it really helped life become clearer. It helped helped you understand life better. Because that's really how Easter has been for me as I've grown up, as I've matured as a Christian, as I've uh, continued to walk and learn more and more about Jesus. The significance of the beginning of the story has become more and more important to me. And let me let me fill you in a little bit on the on the why. As for me growing up, Easter Sunday was was this busy, crazy whirlwind of a day where where we woke up, we did Easter baskets. Uh, My mom made these special, I don't even know if anyone does this still, but my mom still does it, these hot cross buns and the the cross would be on. She'd be like, that's the cross of Jesus. And then we'd eat it and it was just kind of weird. But but we we celebrated with that, Easter egg hunt, and we'd get on our nice clothes and, and we'd go to church and we'd hear the Easter story that we're all looking forward to next week end of Jesus dying and being resurrected so we could have a relationship with this living God. And there's all these incredible parts, but then we would head back, maybe grab some candy. You're probably eating candy the whole time, right? Uh, And and then you you go to a family member's, maybe another egg hunt, and then you have dinner. And at the end of all of this, the day's over. And it's, I'll, I'll be honest, it was hard for me to really even see Jesus in the midst of all the stuff going on, even though we were a family that went to church, a family that, that understood what the Easter story was, it was hard for us to really see the significance because we kind of left Jesus kind of almost in the background of our life and, and, and we lived in the foreground and really he's supposed to be out in the foreground. But for some reason, the busyness of life had gotten so crazy. And the thing I know about the story of Jesus as we look at this story today from from this Palm Sunday event all the way to Easter is that there's some significant things that I think are so unexpected about the story. And maybe, maybe for you, Easter has always had these memories of like, oh, it's so good. And, and, and it's just, you focus on Jesus and you're, you're a good Christian. And that is awesome. I'm so pumped for you. But there's also people that maybe, maybe you resonate with my story of just feeling so busy that you almost forgot it was Easter because you had so many things to get to. 
you. Or maybe for you, you almost have like a, a PTSD uh, because you have a lot of family drama. And so holidays aren't awesome. They're, they're actually the opposite of awesome. They're, they're a struggle. And so you're not looking forward to it in case it might happen again. And there's all this drama going on there. Or, or maybe, there's just, maybe there's just some shame and guilt around just thinking about Easter for whatever reason. But the thing I do know is that if we're honest, if we can just stop for a moment and think about it, if we're honest, I think sometimes that idea that Jesus kind of takes a background seat to our life is true when, when really the thing in focus becomes all those other things that we have to get to. And I really, I really believe that if we, we stop and we pause and we take a moment like we are today, we'll actually see the significance of the story and see who Jesus is really trying to tell us he is. And it will make the, the picture of Easter next weekend look so much richer, like it has in my life as I've started to see the entirety of the story. There's so much more to it. And, it, and it's really a story that, that in the culture that it happened was super unexpected. And I can't wait to take a look at that as, as we, we kind of start to think about this idea of Easter and the idea that, that how did a Jewish carpenter become the Messiah? How did a Jewish carpenter become the Messiah? Or how did his actions that were so unexpected get him to that end result that we know for next weekend? And we're going to be looking at, at John 12 as, as we unpack this. But the, the real big idea I want to make sure that we hear today is that, that Jesus can show up in unexpected ways. Whether it was in his culture where he was living and, and Jesus lived this life of counterculture where he did things that didn't fit the culture, where he said this hierarchical society, the, the least should be the, the most and the most should be the least. We should love the tough to love. We should... We should handle the marginalized and oppression and oppressed in a, in a kind and loving way. All these different things that he did were so countercultural. And a lot of them are still countercultural as we look at them. So as we look at this, we're going to look at how he, he showed up unexpectedly in this culture and how he shows up now unexpectedly in our lives. And Super, super significant thing to look at for me. Uh, John 12, 12 is where we're going to head and to 21 if you're following along in your Bible. We also have those, that fancy app if you're doing the app and filling in the, the blanks along the way. We have that to, to look at also. But, but either way, we want to make sure that, that you hear this story as we jump in. Uh, and just for a little background and setting, I think this is important to understand. This is, this is a super important story. It's found in all four of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those biography stories of Jesus, John being what some people call the fourth gospel, which was where we, we will be. But because it's in all four, that makes it very significant. All four of the authors felt like this was really, really important. And, and truly, it, it's crucial. It's crucial because Jesus is letting the culture know that, that he is the king of Jerusalem, the prophesied Messiah. And, and he's there to rescue them. But it, it's not in the way that they, they hoped. And, and if you remember the story, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. So a huge deal. He's got people following him already. And the more people have heard about, about Jesus doing this. So he's got this following happening already, which for the Pharisees, not a great deal. They're frustrated. And so they put a price on Jesus' head. They put a price on Lazarus' head because he's proof of this miracle. 
So all of this going on, and what does Jesus decide to do but head into the lion's den, head into Jerusalem where all the, the lead rulers of the Pharisees lived. He says, I'm going, I'm going to Jerusalem. And that's where we pick the story up in John 12. Uh, and, and if you want to read along, uh, I'm going to jump in right now. In verse 12, it says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And I would call this an unexpected crowd for, for a lot of ways. There's, there's this crowd that's following Jesus, like I said, lots of people following him already. But then you also have a crowd in Jerusalem, and, it's, and it mentions that there's a festival going on. The festival is one of the biggest events in the Jewish calendar. It's the Passover they're celebrating. So there's lots and lots of people. It rivals Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles as those three that they, they really uh, uh, just celebrate a ton. But, but Passover is the one that, that if you're a Jewish person, you just dream. You dream of getting to celebrate just once maybe in Jerusalem this Passover. And so there's tons of people there. There's a historical writer named Josephus in the first century. He, he, he suggests that there's an estimated 2.7 million people in the city. It's a great crowd. It's a huge crowd of people. And, and if you know much about historical Jerusalem, it really probably didn't fit 2.7 million people. I can imagine it being like the worst day at Disneyland, which could be today, spring break, right? And everybody's just packed in there, but they're having a great time, unlike Disneyland when you feel like that. They're having a great time because they finally have gotten a chance to celebrate this Passover. So you got those people that hear about Jesus on his way. So you, you got these two groups of people. And, and really, there's two sets of people in the crowd. There's the people that have heard of Jesus. They, they've heard he's healed people. He might have raised them from the dead. There's all this sensationalism, and, and they're super excited to just see this person, whoever he is. He's got this, this uh, raised level of, of popularity. But as you know, popularity kind of dies down, right? If you don't keep performing, if you don't keep making the next movie or whatever it is, you lose popularity. And so some of these people that are in the crowd will be the people in a week that will be yelling to crucify Jesus. Those same people. And then you have other people that, that have dreamed their whole life for the Messiah to show up, and they think Jesus is the Messiah. And yet, they dream of a conqueror Messiah. So they're, they're hoping that he comes and rescues them from this, this oppression and marginalization that, that the Romans have put over them with this heavy-handed rule. As a minority people, they're just, they're just hoping that they're rescued from this problem. So you got those two groups of people, and the story continues in verse 13. It says, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So this, this crazy, unexpected welcome happens to Jesus as he's coming into town. The people grab palm branches, which for us, contextually, we're like, okay, cool. Like, I think of palm branches, it's tropical, I'm at the pool, I'm hanging out, it's a vacation for sure. But for them, that was a very common tree. There's abundance of palm branches. So they grab the palm branch, but the palm branch also was a sign of worship. And so waving the palm branch showed worship. And, and it also had some views of, of victory and kingship as they wave 
these palm branches. So it wouldn't have felt as weird as maybe when we read it, it feels. And then they yell, Hosanna, Hosanna, which if you look back at the Hebrew translation of that, it really meant save or save us or save us now. So yelling Hosanna wasn't just a a worship cry. It was a cry to save us, save us. And we hope that you are the true Messiah that that we've been dreaming of. If you, if, if, if you move past to the, the next statement where it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We read it and we think, wow, that's really cool that they're, they're, they're actually recognizing that the Lord has, has, has inaugurated this guy. But, but there's so much more to this statement because, because you find the same phrase in the Psalms, in Psalm 118, which is at the end of a five-section psalm that, that every new Jewish person would have memorized. And so this wasn't a phrase that one person started the chant and then everybody joined in. Oh, that, I like that. No, this is the, a phrase that everyone knew. And they continued to yell and shout because, because they knew it and they used it at festivals. They used it at the Passover. They used it to praise the name of the Lord. And so this wasn't unusual. And then they go another step further and say, blessed is the king of Israel. They're naming Jesus as the king. And if you, if you walk back a few stories, about six chapters, John 6, you'll remember Jesus feeding the 5,000. And at the end of that story, the crowd is trying to get Jesus to accept this kingship. You're the king. And, and Jesus walks away. He withdraws. He's like, not my time. But in this moment, Jesus is accepting this kingship. He's like, yeah, I'm the Messiah. I'm it. And so them yelling, blessed king of Israel, is just further stating who who they know and who Jesus is already saying he is. And we move forward into 14 and 15, and and we see Jesus make a huge statement. He says, Jesus found a young donkey. Now, if you look at some of the other gospels, there's a little more detail there where Jesus sends some disciples to go find it. And there's a whole cool detail story you might want to read up on some other time. But, but John just kind of skips that detail. He just says, Jesus found a donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. See, Jesus, he clears up a lot of things about who he is and what type of Messiah he intends to be, which is an unexpected king that, that they, they thought Jesus was going to be completely different. Now, Jesus, you think, why wouldn't he just tell people that he's the king? Well, it's this huge crowd. Jesus didn't have an incredible sound system like we have here where all of you can hear my voice really clearly. Uh, he didn't have a Mr. Microphone on his hip with a, a microphone hooked to it that he could talk to and people could, could hear him. He didn't have any of that. So he knew that this huge crowd he was not going to be able to speak to. So he does the next best thing. He makes a physical statement of who he is, the Messiah, by riding on this donkey. And you might think, a donkey, of all things, a donkey. If I was, if I was the, trying to show a kinghood in, in myself, I, I'd try and pick an animal that, that really says something, right? Maybe I'd ride something no one's ridden, like a lion or something. Or, or I'd, I'd have this huge parade of people to show my, my kingship. 
I don't know if you've seen Aladdin. I, I watch Aladdin a lot with my daughter. She's, she's 11 and she loves to watch that, that, that uh, movie. And we've watched both the cartoon and the, the, the Will Smith version. Sorry, I had to say it. Um, don't judge him, all right? <laughs> and, and we love it because Aladdin gets a chance to ask three wishes. And one of the wishes, wishes is to become a sultan. And the, the genie creates this persona of Aladdin, this, this poor street rat, where, where he, he actually is riding on this regal elephant and there's dancers and singing. He has a whole entourage and it's, they're dressed so amazingly. And that's really the picture I think that we, we think of when we think of someone that's trying to usher themselves in to kingship. And yet Jesus does something completely different. He picks a donkey. And there's some significance to the donkey that you have to, you have to catch here. Uh, first off, the, the, one of the significances is that Jesus is making a deliberate claim that he's the Messiah. He's, he's the one they've been waiting for, the one that's going to save them. And it, it's a deliberate claim because he's, he's basically reenacting Zechariah 9, 9. And he's even state, John's stating and quoting it here. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion, so your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Everyone there knew when he did that, that he was saying, I am the Messiah. But he also is stating that I'm a, a particular type of Messiah. I'm a particular type of Messiah because I, I'm not a Messiah like you might have dreamed of in your dreams of riding a war horse and you're going to come in and conquer all of my oppressed oppression and, and people that have marginalized me. I'm not that. I'm a prince of peace. The donkey represented peace and love and, and it's a lowly donkey. In humility, Jesus rides in on this donkey. And notice Jesus didn't have to ride a donkey, right? He, he walked everywhere. He was a fit dude. He didn't have to, but he said, no, I have to show people who I truly am. I need to claim this particular type of person that I am as a Messiah. And he really ushers in what we were talking about earlier, this idea of, of really living in counterculture or what I'd call an upside-down culture, and he's really ushering in this kingdom that's, that's upside-down from culture. It's not about rules anymore. It's about relationship. It's not about the, the highest person in society. It's about the least, and we're to serve and love people even at a high, when we're living at a high level, even when we're the king. And it's hard. It's hard to understand because for us, we, we've, we know the end of the story, but, but for the people there, it was super hard to understand. Even for the people that, that knew Jesus well, the disciples were there. And if you, if you read on in verse 16 with me, it says, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So there it is again, uh, recognizing that people were coming out from the city and people were coming and they're going to converge at some point, almost like a, a tide. If you've ever been in the sea, when a tide comes together, it's just crazy. It's rough. There's rogue waves. There's stuff going on. That's really how this, this, this two crowds meeting was going to happen. 
But I don't want you to miss this unexpected truth because, because the disciples even, the, the guys that had been in the trenches with Jesus, the guys that had seen Lazarus raised, the guys that had seen the miracles, the guys that had seen him feed the 5,000, still did not understand what Jesus was doing until everything was done to him, until the end of the story. They didn't know the end of the story yet. And so until they heard the end of the story and they saw Jesus glorified again, they didn't understand. It didn't make sense to them. And, and I love how this, this story ends in verse 19. And I added two more verses. If you look at your Bible, it's, it looks like it ends at 19. I love 20 and 21. So let's, let's ch- jump in and see what it says there. It says, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So you have these these Pharisees who are are just frustrated. They can't believe there's more people following Jesus than ever before. I have to imagine that, that for them to feel this way, a lot of people must have left Jerusalem, enough for them to notice wow, where did everybody go? And they went out to see what was happening. And they were so frustrated because they saw the following and so frustrated that they felt like the whole world is a, has gone after them. It feels like it for them, right? Because the crowd is so big and the, the, the hoopla is so big for Jesus. They, they just can't believe it. But there's another reason that, that I think they're, they're saying the whole world, because you see, the Greeks that were there, those next two verses, the Greeks that were there really weren't supposed to be there in the Pharisees' minds. This was a Jewish holiday, and yet there were Greeks there that, that were worshiping. So they, they were believers, but they weren't a part of the Jewish culture. And so, so they were looking at these people, and they probably saw other than these, Greek, these Greeks here, and, and they thought, wow, there's other people that are starting to follow Jesus. It's starting to happen. They must have been so frustrated. And I, I love, love, love how they, they ask the question. They say, sir, we would like to see Jesus. These men that, that were just trying to figure out who Jesus was. They were, they were trying to understand everything that was going on. They'd heard who Jesus is and how impressive he is. And then he'd done incredible things. And their posture was simply, we would like to see Jesus. We would like to see Jesus. I love this story because, because I feel like the courage that it took for Jesus to, to get on that donkey and ride into town was so huge. Most people in that moment would have been like, I'm turning around, I'm going the other way. This is too dangerous. This is too scary. Or they would have snuck into town and hid among the people, but not Jesus. Jesus rides in knowing exactly what it meant to ride on this donkey and proclaim that he was the king. He was the king of Israel. He was the Messiah. He was who they'd been waiting for, but, but he wasn't exactly what they expected. They expected something so much more of someone that, that would bring war, and he said, no, I'm bringing peace and love, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how to love people in humility, not in war. It's such a different way to really look 
at, 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 at who Jesus is and how he interacts with us in Easter, when we really start to look at, at who he said he was. Because fast forward 2,000 years, Jesus is still doing unexpected things in our lives. When I look at my own life, I think of different times in my life when I've seen Jesus unexpectedly. Like in eighth grade, when I went to a summer camp and I heard the story of Jesus and how he desired to have a relationship with me and he died for my sins. And then they asked us, hey, go spend 15 minutes by yourself and think about it. I went out, I remember this vividly. I walked out in the woods and I sat down and I wept. I cried so hard because I, I couldn't believe how much Jesus loved me. And I accepted him that day, and it was so unexpected. I didn't go to that camp expecting Jesus to, to invade my life like that, and yet he did. Or maybe, maybe for, as we think about unexpected times, maybe it's in those lowest times in our lives. Like, I can remember the lowest time in my life when I, I, I couldn't even see straight. I'd lost someone, and it was so difficult. And yet, in that moment, I knew that Jesus was right there and he was, he was pouring out his love when I couldn't even, I could barely receive it. Or in our, in our highest times, we have high times in life too and, and in those high times, it, it, it just feels like we're walking on air and Jesus does something unexpected and it just, it feels like it can't get any better and we're just like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you surprised me in so many ways. It's so cool. But even in those times, which I think are most of the times in our lives, those, those times in the middle, when we're just going through the daily routine, and, and it's hard to see Jesus, but, but we know that he's gonna, he, he will show up when we have a posture like these Greek men had, a posture of wanting to see Jesus, looking for Jesus and saying, Jesus, I don't want to put you in the background anymore. I want to move you to the foreground. I want to see you in the middle of life and in the highs and in the lows. And I want to see you in every aspect of my life. But I have to be willing to have that posture of, I want to see Jesus. So I ask you, what about you? What about you? Where, where, where is your story intersected with Jesus' story? Where have, where have you been shocked? Where has is, where is Jesus shown up in unexpected ways in your life? And if he hasn't, maybe, maybe it's time to, to, to start kind of simplifying things and just saying, I'd like to see Jesus. I want to have a posture to see Jesus. Because the Jesus that we talk about it's the Jesus that rode in on that donkey and said, I am the king. I am the king. I'm the king of Israel. I'm the king of the world. I'm the king of creation. I'm the king of your life. And I deserve to be worshipped just like those people worshipped him 2,000 years ago. I wonder if you've ever thought of Jesus in that way, as the king. And that he deserves that same worship, that same adoration, that same thanksgiving, that, that same whole life given to him that he desires so much. He deserves that from each and every one of us. And I wonder if you've thought of him in that way. Because he's the same then as he is today. And he wants us to see him clearly. But it requires this posture of really wanting to see him in that way. 
just like those Greeks. We're going to have the band come out as we, we really kind of button this up. Um, I really want you to think about, though, how, how, how you view Jesus. Because we do know the end of the story. We know what's going to happen in a week. We know how the story ends. But I challenge you to, to expect the unexpected with Jesus. To expect the unexpected because he will show up in your lives in unexpected ways. And you will be blown away by who he is and who he can be in your lives. Here's the thing. We, we, we can't get to Easter if we don't understand who Jesus is this weekend. Because he showed up when he shouldn't have. The courageous Jesus that should have hid came straight into Jerusalem and said, I'm the guy, I'm the one you've been looking for. And he came in as the Prince of Peace and love and humility to show us who the true God was. He wasn't a God of war, he was a God of love and peace. And he can usher that peace into every one of our lives if we're willing to have that posture, willing to be able to just say, we want to see Jesus. Jesus, show me yourself clearly. So we're going we're gonna to sing a song right now. And here's what, here's what I want to challenge you with, because I see this all the time. This is the moment when people start packing up their stuff, getting ready to go, or you start heading out because you got to get more coffee or whatever. I want you to stay in this for a moment, because this is a moment where we're going to sing a song to really, really worship and adore Jesus. It's called Prayer to the King. And I want you to, to really stay in it with me and, and worship the King and, and reflect on Jesus as the King of the world, as the King that can be the King of our whole life if we let him. So let's sing.